You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly installment of mixed martial arts talk and commentary on the world today that we live in. From Frank Mir, two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Ricky Lundell, his head coach and coach to several UFC stars, and myself, MMA broadcaster Richard Hunter. We are coming to you once again from Mir Manor, the Frank Mir residence here in Las Vegas. And uh, Frank, uh, before we get started, we've got a lot to talk about, including the uh, UFC Fight Night card, the Monterey, Mexico card that we're actually going to be watching live as we do the show. We have to place a phone call. Now, that phone call is going to be to our co-host, your head coach, my life coach, Ricky Lundell, who is in Albuquerque. He's been training with Carlos Condit. He is at the airport, as I understand it. And uh, we're going to check in with him because people are really starting to think he's disappeared. People are concerned. They think he might have met with a, an untimely fate, a premature demise. He hadn't been on the show in weeks, and they're concerned about that. Let's see if I can Hello. get him. There he is, Ricky. Hey, guys. Okay, you're on the show. You're on live. And uh, first of all, just just uh, proof of life, affirmation that you're still with us. A lot of people were concerned. You know, you're you're known for being volatile. You're known for being a hothead, just, just uh, you know, quitting, walking off the job at the drop of a hat. I mean, I don't want to air all your dirty laundry. But people were afraid that something had happened that had gotten under your skin. Maybe uh, the green room wasn't set up just right for you on one of the broadcasts or what have you, and you would just start stormed off the set and quit the show. Now that's not what's happened these last few weeks, right? Like somebody left some somebody left some uh, yellow skittles inside of a, a jar or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that ended it for me. No, no, I'm actually I'm uh, I'm about to fly back to Vegas, which is exciting because now I get to spend some time with uh, you, Frank, and and everybody else on the team. Yeah, so that's, it's going to be it's that's where be we good. are. I'm excited to get back. Now, what, Truly, where, I'm excited to get back. Where are you, and what have you been doing? So I'm out in, I'm out in Albuquerque, and I've yeah. been training Carlos Bondit for his upcoming fight against Robbie Lawler. Yep. And uh, that title fight happens January 2nd, for those of you who don't know, so you better get out there and get your tickets. UFC right 195. Right there in our hometown. Yep. Hometown in Vegas. Yep. And uh, we were, I, I will tell you, out here, it has been wild since the Holly Home and Ronda Rousey whole fight went down. I mean, the whole city is is just banded together in this in this. I don't know. It's like parade all the time, and now they have like uh, November is now Holly Home month. I mean, it is a big deal. She's on she's on the cover of every magazine, and inside the magazine, guys, they have posters of Holly Holm in every single newspaper. So if you buy a newspaper, posters of the new champion comes with it. Albuquerque has not had this kind of publicity since the series finale of Breaking Bad. That's what I that's what I was thinking as well. Yes. They have a they have a slightly different twist now. I mean now <laughs> they have a fight an upset as big as uh Buster Douglas Mike Tyson yeah. that has happened. And and now I mean the whole city has erupted and I was here at Jackson's when uh, when Holly won the belt and I will tell you I don't think I've ever seen so many fighters just on top of tables and screaming and climbing over each other and it was it was unbelievable. Wow, you know I didn't even 
put two and two together about that. That I mean, obviously, I knew Holly was out of uh, the Jackson Winkle John camp, but I, I I wasn't really putting the picture in the frame as far as thinking that you were going to be right there on site as everything happened. That's awesome. That 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 has got to be very cool. All right, Frank, time oh, for you, Richard. It, it, I I was just going to say it's very unique because being being over there and seeing around the Rousey train and then seeing Holly home train and then having this all come to fruition at all the same time. I mean. Frank's seen both ends of the spectrum because he's been with Travis and been out of Jackson. Yep, yep. Well, it's time. Uh, it's time for me to turn the uh, the microphone over to Frank Mir here, Ricky. He's got. To, he's going to ask you some some Carlos Condit related questions and basically just catch up with you because the two of you have not seen each other in uh, in quite a while. And I know I know how uh, Frank gets separation anxiety. So, Frank. All right, I'm gonna, I'm going to try not to cry here. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? We'll do it. How's it going out there? Is uh, everything going smooth as far as uh, everybody getting along uh, technique-wise? Everybody on the same page, or is it a little still a bit of a difficulty of uh, being as far? Yeah, I mean everybody's everybody's definitely getting along well. I mean it's a different. It's it's obviously a different dynamic as you fought Andre Arlovsky and you fought. Uh, I mean uh, several people out of out of this camp with Alistair Overeem here, but. Um, you know, right now we're focused in on on Carlos, so we're we're a team again. And then, you know, when when uh, if a day comes where we we end up fighting the camp again, it just it happens it happens that way. So everything's been really good. I actually went out to breakfast the other day with with Andre Arlovsky, and uh, we didn't talk fighting at all. We talked we talked to dogs and uh, about the uh, the firearm collection that he has. Apparently, he has just a, a plethora. So I know you two have that in common. A lot of guys do that when they come over from uh, you know countries where it's not as easy to acquire legally and own firearms. It seems like uh, they come here to uh, the U.S. and that's uh, we know a bunch of guys now on that list that just uh, they feel a safe full of uh, weaponry. Have you been able to hang out with uh, Gibson or Chris Latrell at all? You know Gibson has been gone, and uh, Jackson and Winklejohn they 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 were gone, and then this this last fight Diego to Gibson with him. So you know, it's been me and Carlos the really the entire time uh, that that I've been out here. I mean, I've spent I've spent uh, like a week and then stopped and then a week, and and it's been me and Carlos just working on what he needs to do to defeat to defeat Robbie Lawler. And I've seen I saw Gibson one day and uh, kind of in passing a little bit, but we haven't been able to spend a lot of time together. But you know, I love I love working with him and I love seeing him. And I did I did tell him that you said hi, Frank. And uh, that we want to get him on the show sometime soon. Absolutely great. All right, man. Well, hey, I hope the flight isn't delayed too long and see you soon. All right, Ricky. Good stuff, man. Travel uh, safe getting back. And, and I'll go ahead and, and uh, just mention something that, that when Ricky gets back, uh, it's, uh, it's, he's, he's hitting the ground running once again, not only with, uh, with, uh, fight game planning and training and all that sort of stuff, but some other stuff that's going on too. And, uh, I'll just say that I have a feeling Ricky that, uh, on, on the next edition of phone booth fighting, not this one, but the next one, when all three of us are back together, I think we're going to have a major announcement to make. Do you think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm overselling that, or do you think the announcement qualifies as major? No, you may be underselling it. Maybe There's I definitely am. some big stuff going on, and uh, I'm excited to be back with you guys. It's time to get the three of you goes back in the same room. Stop hogging all the airtime, you punk. Okay, we will. We will reveal the nature of that big announcement on the next edition of Phone Booth Fighting. Travel safe, Ricky. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Talk to you guys soon. All right. 
There goes Ricky Lundell. Now I'm going to plug, uh, I'm going to do a little switch on the fly here, plug a different microphone in so Frank can have his own microphone once again. So that was Ricky Lundell. Now I know uh, Efren Escadero, we already saw him uh, lose a decision to Leandro Silva on the uh, first uh, fight of the main card. And I was asking you, because I couldn't remember, I knew uh, Efrain was on your season of the Ultimate Fighter when you coached against uh, Minotaro Noguera. I couldn't remember if he was your team or Big Nogs, and he was on Noguera, as you were telling me. Um, what do you remember about him during the season? You know, he was a real amical guy, uh, you know, friendly enough, you know, as far as uh, personality, was able to get along with people, really wasn't there to cause problems or try to take any shortcuts to get uh, camera time by being a, uh, you know, a train wreck. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he had a good set of skills, you know, uh, his uh, wrestling was, was, was pretty well developed compared to everybody else on the uh, show. And, uh, you know, just his stand up and his uh, submission ability was, you know, something he was you know, improving upon, but definitely was not like a, a huge weakness. Just yeah. his strength definitely was in his wrestling area. Do you think there was anything uh, as far as holes in his game or an immaturity that showed? Or, or Because this is a guy who's now on his third stint in the UFC. You don't see that very often. I mean, a lot of a lot of guys get a second chance, but he's been cut twice by the organization. Now he's back in. Obviously, the UFC is seeing something in him that they continue to want uh, to to bring back. I mean, I talked to him last week, and he really felt like he was sort of returning to his hungry form. You hear a lot of fighters say that sometimes after they've hit a hit a bump or gotten cut for the first time. But how how much of a reality do you think that sort of thing is for a leopard to, you know, change his spots if he if he hits that bump and then has to kind of reinvigorate his enthusiasm well you know i think a lot of guys just look at that because it's a quicker fix when they look at the reasons for their lack of success yeah so they sit there and go well you know i'm just i haven't been as hungry and, and i'm like no if you really think about it man you've been in the gym and you've been training and you've been doing everything right it's just that uh one facet that of mma that people just sometimes just don't want to uh acknowledge and, uh, and i think it makes it hard for them mentally and they, that's why they struggle and they uh, misallocate time and energy it's, it's like no that guy was just better than you he, he beat you mm -hmm. you know you got beat um on that given night and, and you might go back and fight him again with no addition to your game plan maybe with no uh you know arsenal added to your already uh your your game and now you might still win. Just as a different set of scenarios, you know, it's a different day. How easy the weight cut was, you know, just where you were mentally and physically on that given day. When you get to a high level of competition, it's hard to, you know, to maintain such consistency and victory. And so, uh, you know, guys like Escudero, you know, like it's nothing against them. It's like, you know, when they sit there and they talk about, oh, you know, I need to improve here or do this. It's like. The, the people you're facing are tough too and it's not yeah. a defeatist mindset but i think that at the same time it's being more honest with yourself sitting there going well no that this this guy he beat me on that given night and really had nothing to do with what else i could have done more you know something Ephraim did that that uh i i think benefited him and i think it's benefiting a lot of fighters who find themselves in the situation of maybe being in the ufc and then cut by the organization and having to work their way back i think this is one of the ancillary benefits of fight pass mm -hmm. in that Fight Pass is starting to carry more regional and independent yep. promotions, right? They're, they're basically a broadcast platform for, for some of those uh, fighting organizations. If you get cut by the UFC, but you, can, you end up fighting in a legacy or one of those kind of fighting uh, organizations, I think it's helpful that you're still on Fight Pass. 
because the fans know you as a UFC fighter. And, you know, it's easy to be out of sight, out of mind. But I think the fact that that your fights are still being seen on Fight Pass is helpful because it kind of keeps you in the in the uh, the eye of the UFC to keep an eye on, uh, you know, how you're doing outside the organization. See if you're putting wins together to get back in, get another run. Yeah, absolutely. It keeps you relevant. Too. You'll have to be uh you know, you have to be in the uh, the eye and the spotlight yeah. to, uh, to to stay relevant and and keep in uh, to where people have an interest to watch you continue on fighting. Uh, you saw that a little bit the first time. Actually, uh, you know, one real uh, obvious uh, example mm-hmm. is when Matt Sarah. You know, he came back. They did the Ultimate Fighter, where it was the about, comeback series. The comeback yep. series, yep. and the winner was going to have an opportunity to fight. Uh, um, GSP and mm-hmm. he went on to go ahead and you know win and it was you know considered one of the best you know the greatest upsets of all time but um before that Matt Sarah you know in his career leading up to that resurgence was one of the more famous within the UFC realm you know he was a well-known fighter and, yeah and had a very accomplished career jiu-jitsu wise also on top of that they're in the northeast and uh, when he first came back and did the series, he talked about how the UFC was exploding and basically had forgotten who he was. He'd sit there and go to events and fights where there are other people that are interested in the sport, and people would look at him and go, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing this?" Type of questions where, you know, that you know, kind of upset him. He's like, "You know, what do you mean? I've paved the plat, you know, <laughs> I've uh, paved the way for these guys uh, yeah. to be where they are now." And so uh, there's a good example of, of talking about not being in the light of. Uh, of recognition and, and out there fighting. Here's a guy who, you know, went out and fought, had fights with, you know, BJ Penn at the time, you know, was one of the you know, best guys in his division. Mm-hmm. And uh, people didn't know who he was. I, uh, I've i got to tell you, Frank, about my jujitsu morning. I had, a, I had a very jujitsu-esque morning this morning. You ready? I uh, got up to train. I went over to my friend uh, Bindi Casimir's house, who who factors into our Friday evening together because we're at uh, uh, Real Waters, uh, one of our uh, sponsors here on Phone Booth Fighting. Real Water puts on a uh, an MMA promotion every couple of months. Uh, so uh, Real Water put on their real MMA event Friday night, Samstown Casino. We were both there, you and me, Frank, and uh, uh, great night of uh, amateur MMA and Muay Thai from our friends there at Real Water. And uh, I, we sat down on our seats, and all of a sudden I was looking at my, uh, my phone, and uh, my friend uh, Bindi Casimir, who I trained with some, had, uh, had posted that, that he was on the card. And I didn't even know it. He was uh, the first uh, fight of the night. He's a pro fighter. So I guess they had to make it a grappling exhibition because once he's pro, he can't compete amateur, I guess. So it wasn't MMA rules. It was uh, grappling rules. Anyway, he was uh, he was on the, the card and won by, by first-round uh, knee bar, which he's, he's a big leg lock guy. That's kind of his specialty. So I went over and trained uh, with him this morning. And then this is where my morning got got uh, very, very jujitsu-esque. I, uh, I, I trained with him. Then I went to Whole Foods, and uh, while I was at the little uh, serving station where you put your coffee and all that kind of stuff, uh, somebody said, excuse me, and I looked to my left, and it was Vanderlei Silva. So I said, hello, Vanderlei Silva. And he said hello and made sure I was going to have a happy Thanksgiving. I assured him I would. That's awesome. That's kind of crazy. Only in Las Vegas. Small world. Yeah, that's where you run into your your Vanderlei Silvas, your Robert Drysdales, whoever you run into well, there at uh, Whole Foods. One of the few times you run into the axe and not be upset about it. Huh? That's right. That's right. But here's here's where I felt a little uh, emboldened. Okay, and I didn't really think about this until I was walking back to the car. I has still had on a sweaty rash guard. You know what I mean? I felt like he kind of gave me a little extra look. Yeah. Like, you know, he's going to say hello anyway. And he didn't say anything, but I, his eyes were saying, ah. Oh, 
just got done putting in doing some work. On yeah. a Sunday, no less. Indeed. On a Sunday morning, early. That's right. So uh, that was my run-in with the axe murderer this morning. Um, what day, What time did you... Okay, so so after we did Real MMA Friday, uh, we went to eat. What time did you go to bed? Uh, three or four in the morning. Three or four in the morning. Is that is that typical for you? No, not at all. What time do you normally go to bed? Uh we're all in bed by about ten o'clock, and then you know, okay. if I'm playing on the iPad, or yes, I might dro- dro- you know, uh, yeah. doze off a little around eleven. Yes, because uh, you know Frank has uh, has has a family. You have multiple children that live here. Uh, my girlfriend and I have none of that, so we marvel at you breeders. You know, like when we look at the way you manage your schedule and your time and all that kind of stuff. And we actually had to leave dinner a little bit early. We, we went out and did the, the breakfast thing. But, yeah, it was like 2, 2.30 in the morning. And uh, she was she had to be at work the next day. So I was like, well, we'll go ahead and cut out a little bit early. But we were talking about that. We were like, man, we are so tired. And we're like, man, those guys, they have kids. and the, They're always in activities. And I'll bet somebody, one of the kids was probably doing something early that day and everything. Like, does that stuff even phase you, or once you have kids, do you just just get in that automatic mode? Oh no, it's it's difficult. Yeah, that's why a lot of times. I mean, when's the last time you ever hung out with me until two or three in the morning? Right. Uh, because uh, Bella, at the end of her season, it occurred, and, and Cage and Ronan both don't had didn't have uh, games on Saturday. So it was one of the rare occasions uh. of, you know, Saturday where we could uh, uh, sleep in, and so yeah. the. Uh, Another thing, a trick we've learned through just uh, you know uh, experience of being a parent is that yes, you need a you know a sitter or someone to watch your kids while you go out. Yeah, but the most important sitter is the one in the morning. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Oh, right. While well, you're still sleeping in. That way you don't have to wake up and fix breakfast. You can kind of you know. Gotcha. That's when the that's when you, you hopefully you got a nanny or something like that, right? right? Or au pair, I guess you call them. Yeah, the au pair. Yeah. Uh, very, okay. Well, I was wondering about that because I you impressed me. I mean, you were you were hanging in there later than I was, and I was like, man, am I am I getting old? What's going on? You know, we're we're, we're tired here. We're tired. So here is the uh, here's the uh, first MMA item of the show this week uh, in terms of uh, UFC related news. Um, this thing with uh, with Edmund Taverdian. Uh, head coach of uh, Ronda Rousey and the uh, guy running things at Glendale Fight Club. I always assumed he owned Glendale Fight Club, and that kind of factors into what we're about to talk about here, Frank. Edmund Tverdian's had a rough uh, couple of weeks because, of course, Ronda Rousey lost her fight uh, this uh, past weekend against uh, Holly Holm, lost her title. But before that, part of the the buildup to the fight, which is – uh, everybody was talking about the possible distractions for Ronda Rousey was the fact that it was discovered that Edmund had filed for bankruptcy uh, back in July. Okay, And it was revealed at the time in the court documents that he said he did not own any interest in Glendale Fight Club and that also he had had no income from the last couple of years, which would be weird because you would certainly think Ronda Rousey would be paying him and that they had been living off of his wife's income. Well, questions sort of started swirling at that point. You know, maybe did he transfer ownership over to her? And is this, uh, you know, was he maybe trying to pull a fast one? Um, well, uh, the the plot thickens because uh, now, this is according to Bloody Elbow, who was on this story uh, from, I believe they were the ones who broke it. It was the first place I saw it anyway, about the bankruptcy proceedings. Now... 
Um, Bloody Elbow reports that Edmund had a meeting scheduled, uh, what they call meeting of creditors. This is part of the official proceedings, something you're supposed to do when you file bankruptcy. It was supposed to occur this past Monday, and he didn't show up for that. So he's already had a couple of hiccups with this thing. He originally filed bankruptcy on May 29th. Uh, that was dismissed when he failed to appear for a creditor meeting on July 2nd. Then he refiled for bankruptcy and appeared at a September 2nd creditor meeting, but that meeting was continued because the trustee asked for additional documentation regarding his bank accounts. Now he's missed another one, and this is where it gets worse. The trustee received court approval to employ... Robert Hessling is his general counsel, and Hessling's job is going to be to assist and advise the trustee in the following matters. Determine the nature, extent, and value of Tiverdian's former interest or current interest, if any, in GFC Fitness, and also to look into any fraudulent and or preferential transfers, including any transfers involving GFC Fitness, and liquidate any property that is recovered as a result of the avoidance of any of those transfers, and finally prosecute claims uh, and objections to the extent that legal issues are involved and that funds are generated for the estate. This doesn't sound very good. No, I think it's, you know, he tried doing, it looks like, obviously we're not there. Yeah. But it, from what it appears, from what we're reading, uh, somebody tried to uh, get away with, uh, you know, a few items and things that, you know, that's commonly kind of done. You know, people will try to, you know, always try to, uh, you know, move the lines and, and try to bend the uh, system in their favor. But uh, they're not on, on television. They're not on the Internet. No. <laughs> and it really sounds like it couldn't have come at a worse time either, Frank, because the situation that you've got now with Rhonda losing her title, I mean, people are already starting to speculate, should she shake up her camp? Should she make some coaching changes? Now, that tells me that even if she stays with Edmund Tiverdian, they may not be staying at GFC very long. I mean, they may there may not be a GFC to stay at. You know, they may have to, if nothing else, go train somewhere else. I don't know. Right. I don't know. But uh, not good news there for Edmund Tiverdian. You being a, a jiu-jitsu guy, is that still your favorite form of MMA to watch? If, 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 if one discipline is going to emerge in a fight, if you, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not specifying any particular fighters, just in a general sense. If I told you I'm going to queue up a fight and what we're going to end up seeing is in this UFC fight is either a, a whole lot of jujitsu, B, a whole lot of striking. You have a preference one way or another? Yeah, I do. And it's actually, maybe that's just from training for so many years now. I don't really look at it as uh, different styles. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jiu-Jitsu is its own, you know, art by itself. And then there's MMA, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then you have what position you are, whether you're on your feet or on the ground. And so whenever I watch a fight, what I find most interesting is just um, finishes, maneuvers, you know, something definitive, you know, where, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to see a guy go out there and just kind of, you know, pitter-patter punch and run away from somebody and just do enough to win a judge's decision. And same thing with the grappling. You know, I like to watch grappling, but if I see a guy just go for takedowns and just kind of cover the hips and just, you know, and, and stay heavy and throw just enough punches and elbows to keep the fight from rising to his feet, mm -hmm. um, it's not as entertaining to watch somebody who's, you know, looking to go for a finish, whether it be through a submission or a knockout. Do you remember a time, because I, I think 
you and I did uh, MMA Junkie Radio this past week with our friends uh, Gorgeous George and Goes. Whole, the whole two hours, by the way, which was awesome because we really got into a lot of in-depth stuff. And uh, I think they asked you at one point because you had done the uh, the the Fox desk uh, for the UFC 193 uh, pre and post fight show. I think they asked you, you know, do you do you still see anything that surprises you or you don't know how to break down? And you were saying not really at this point. Uh, but do you remember? Because I find where I'm sort of at in my jujitsu journey is that I continue to, you know, week to week and month to month have my eyes opened even more to what I'm seeing. I mean, I feel like I can do a decent job of understanding or describing what I'm seeing now, but I still hit these these new levels where I'm like, oh, wow, now I really see a nuance that I didn't really see, you know, before, and it's because of, of hands-on application and training. But do you, was, was there a point that that plateaued for you? Do you remember how long ago that's been, or was it, you know, maybe right up until black belt level, I guess, that you were still seeing things that were were eye-opening to you? Well, I mean, now there's, just, there's not anything really major anymore. Mm -hmm. Anybody will see. There isn't like a completely different version of doing a guard where no one's ever seen before and it's you know so alien to all of us uh, mm -hmm. really if anything i try to explain to people and they say hey do you still learn when you're in the gym i'm like well yeah mm -hmm. well, what are you learning i'm all i'm learning the same things over again mm -hmm. and, and, and i guess the best way to explain that is like it's like reading a book mm -hmm. once you've read a book once really nothing's going to surprise you as far as what comes out of the book you know mm -hmm. you pretty much have the gist of what's going on but after you've read it one time, mm -hmm. and then through you yourself have changed and developed as a person, you go back and read the same book again, and now you see things a little differently. You see a little bit, you understand a certain section that you kind of maybe glossed over with before, and, and now you're looking at something and it really it hits you and you really understand what was being said there, or really the meaning of certain situations that you didn't think were significant before. Mm. Okay, you start to see things that were always there that you just... Yeah, you you got the outline before the overview, and now you're you're really looking into the right. the nuances of it. Yeah, uh, reminder that uh, if you're not already doing it, if you're hearing us terrestrially in the Las Vegas or Reno markets, which we certainly appreciate you doing and tuning into, know that we are available via podcast in iTunes or at phoneboothfighting.com. Just click on the subscribe button, and it'll be automatically downloaded to your phone or, or uh, laptop or what have you uh, each and every week like clockwork when we post a new episode. Give us a five-star rating and uh, write us a favorable review if you've got time to do that. But if you don't have time to do any of that, uh, please, by all means, the most important thing to myself and Frank and Ricky is to tell a friend. I don't know if you uh, noticed on your social media, Frank, but uh, we've been getting a lot of glowing comments on our uh, social media, and I'll just review a few here. Uh, a few uh, tweets that came in and posts to uh, at the Frank Mir, at Richard Hunter, and at Ricky Lundell on uh, social media. By the way, we're at Phone Booth Fighting on Instagram and, and uh, at Phone Booth Fight on Twitter. They uh, wouldn't let us have the uh, uh, name there. Too many, too many characters, I guess. But uh, I did check a couple of these out, so I'll uh, I'll read them to you here, Frank, and uh, credit the authors. Uh, on Twitter, at Sharky underscore Vegas says, at Richard Hunter and at the Frank Mir are legit. Tune your ears in. Uh, this from at the MM Analyst. 
love hearing Richard Hunter and the Frank Muir and Ricky Lundell. Great job, guys. Very entertaining stuff. And Brian S. says, uh, great show. Some of the best commentary I've heard in a long time. Great stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's at least three people that are listening. There you go. <laughs> and we're, we're three for three with them. All right. Uh, how about this one, Frank? Does this interest you? Uh, word is starting to circulate that, uh, you know, Anderson Silva will be past his year-long suspension at the beginning of the year, I think right around uh, the end of January. And uh, his next fight is rumored to be occurring on March 5th in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, against, you want to guess? Uh... Chris Lieben. No, that's a terrible guess, Frank. Come on. <laughs> Not even fighting anymore. No, do you have a guess? Uh, Rashad Evans. No. Want another one? No. It's a rematch? Uh, Nick Diaz? No. Um, oh, Chael Sonnen would be the... the right, but he's still under suspicion. Nope. The rematch, the rumor, for March 5th in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, will be part two, Anderson Silva... And the Phenom Vitor Belfort. Oh. Interested? Yeah. You know, the first one ended so fast. Yeah. You know, Anderson's a phenomenal fighter, you know, one of the best in the world, and he was able to catch Vitor, but it sucks because I think Vitor's a great fighter, too. He's phenomenal, and I would like to have seen him uh, have more opportunities to, uh, you know, try to uh, do something. It ended with a front kick, which, of course, is still on the big uh, UFC Bob O'Reilly highlight reel that they kick off every pay-per-view yep. with, uh, that, that big front kick. But uh, Belfort, uh, Belfort was looking pretty good that night before that kick, uh, so I think a lot of people wanted to see more uh, out of him. So we'll see if that ends up happening on uh, March 5th. Okay, now another, uh, another thing we've been following here on the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast, Frank, is who... Fedor Emelianenko's opponent is going to be on New Year's Eve when he returns. Uh, now, remember, originally, that's how we learned the name Jadeep Singh. Yeah. That's the guy who's had uh, one, what did he, he was one MMA fight, right? Yeah, he had, one, yeah. He had, one had one fight <laughs> that he won. He's yeah. on a winning streak. He was undefeated. Yeah. Uh, turns out it wasn't him. They they scratched that idea after some, uh, I guess, some some pretty well-placed backlash. Then the rumor was that it was going to be uh, Suyoshi Kasaka. Now, this is a guy, a UFC veteran, who is best known for defeating Fedor, being the only person to defeat him prior to 2010. Yeah, but I, I know which fight we're talking about. Yeah, it was uh, it was a controversial stoppage. It was uh, 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 Fedor got a cut from an elbow. Yes, doctor stopped the fight. Uh, elbow in under rings rules was illegal, but it was a tournament. I don't know. There was all kinds of shenanigans going on that night, and so Fedor uh, in two thousand. That was in two thousand. Then two thousand five. Uh, Fedor defeated him, so that was kind of the end of that uh, of that mystique. But at least he was a guy who could say he'd had a win over uh, over Fedor. But he had not fought. Actually, I think the last time he fought was in two thousand five, when uh, or two thousand six rather. Two thousand the very next year he retired after uh, Mark Hunt beat him. But he had fought in the UFC. He had a couple of wins, and uh, uh, but now he's still going to be on that card, Frank. But now he's going to fight James the Colossus Thompson. So, so we're still waiting to see 
who Fedor Emelianenko's opponent is going to be. Is there anybody out there, heavyweight-wise, that, I mean, it's such a weird time right now because obviously it's not going to be anybody in the UFC. Okay, they're spoken for. Any other organization would probably, maybe for the publicity, lend an opponent. Like Bellator would probably lend them a heavyweight to do it, you know, because they're on Spike TV and all that. But I don't know who you could even say is like uh, Fedor-worthy caliber that's not in the UFC that I can think of. No, I can't either. You know, I know it was to say we're biased. <laughs> well, but, sure, yeah. But uh, really, I mean, how do you articulate anybody who's not in the, in the top 20 really being a fight for Fedor? And that's why I really thought that first one, when I found out the individual was 1-0, and I'm like... Can you even get that sanctioned? Yeah, yeah, it may be in Japan, but you definitely wouldn't be able to get it sanctioned here. Absolutely not. But, you know, when when this was first talked about, the uh, the big question was, because I, th- I think a lot of people brought up Kimbo Slice because he's in Bellator, right? So people were thinking, oh, okay, well, you got to have a name go up against him. But, at, of course, we were all saying, well, that that's that's awful. That's a mismatch. That that probably shouldn't even be sanctioned. And now it turns out you're, you're it's almost like you're saying Kimbo Slice would be too big of a name to give him, yeah. that you're looking for somebody who's, uh, who's lesser known than that. So uh, this interesting item comes out of the... Uh, uh, the the eccentric world of Jeff Monson, the snowman. We're digging deep here for uh, for UFC references past. And he's but, always good for an interesting story. Uh, I got another one for you. All right. Jeff, uh, the snowman Monson, uh, has officially been awarded Russian citizenship. The former Soviet Union has given him Russian citizenship. I guess my first question out of ignorance is, are you able to contain a dual citizenship between the U.S. and Russia? Apparently you can because, do you know who else has it? Roy Jones Jr. Huh. I didn't know this. I guess it must be largely symbolic or kind of honorary. I mean, I don't, okay. I don't know if you really try what you get out of it. I know Jeff spends a lot of time uh, in in Russia, and he just he just fought over there. They actually he won a fight uh, here the last couple of weeks via his patented north south choke. And I guess at the conclusion of that, they awarded him the Russian citizenship. So I don't know if it's kind of like getting a key to the city or something like huh. that, but uh, yeah. He, uh, he has that now, so I don't think it's any... It, I started hearing rumblings about this, that he was interested in having it, like, a couple of months ago. And at the time, the way the story read, I thought, gee, like, is he talking about renouncing his U.S. citizenship? But I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's just honorary. Yeah, but the fact that it's Jeff, um, <laughs> that is the first place my brain went. Because yeah. my mind first went, oh, man, Jeff, you're... you're He's had some run-ins politically before where he's done some things that... Uh, right, he sprayed the anarchy symbol on the state capitol in Washington. Remember yeah. that? He actually got some time for that. He did. They went and came and found him. Yeah. That was a federal... Uh, I think they came yeah. on that level. The thing I love... I, I like a lot of things about Jeff Monson. First of all, he's he's uh, he's he's somewhat of a of a friend. I mean, we, we've had a good uh, rapport and relationship uh, over the years. Different times we've gotten to hung out, hang out because uh, not only for... Uh, for jujitsu uh mma purposes but uh he's also got excellent taste in music and he's a member of uh the wobblies the uh industrial workers of the world which is like the uh nation's oldest labor union 
And uh, I yes, I am a supporter of theirs as well. So we have some interesting uh, connections there. But um, the other thing I like about Jeff Frank is that anytime you call him, anytime you talk to him, he's always got a fight coming up in about three weeks. Like it doesn't matter when it is, you know, like <laughs> he, he always is within three weeks of his last fight. And he's usually within about three weeks of his next fight. He is. He's a guy that's out there constantly fighting on the circuits and, uh, and, uh, grappling too. The guy's had, yeah. like, I think there must be some kind of record for the amount of submission grappling matches, you know, as far as grappling, grapplers yeah. quest in Naga. Yeah. He has to be, uh, Acquired more matches than anybody that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, he, he probably has, and he's also known for something uh, in particular the the uh, the north south choke. Um, is there any? Have you? I was thinking about this the other day. Can you think of a particular submission in jujitsu that no one is particularly known for? Uh, that's just never really been claimed. But I mean, I guess it could be something real obscure, like an omoplata or something like that. Well, actually, that. that's what my brain first was going yeah. there because uh, omoplatas, you see guys throw them up and go for them, um, but um, the uh, finishing rate on them is extremely low. Yeah, you know, it's even hard right now to find a highlight reel of guys being finished with the. Uh, Hasn't there only been like one in the UFC? I think it's like Ben Saunders or somebody like that has that record. There's someone. I have to look that up. There's someone in the UFC. I think they're the only person to ever. Uh, ever finish a fight via omoplata. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. By the way, Diego Sanchez fighting later on this card. Did you see what he did with his weight? He's fighting at featherweight on this card. Yeah. 145 pounds. He weighed in at 145 pounds on Friday. By Saturday midday, he weighed 171 pounds. That's crazy. I don't even know. Like That sounds to me like you could time-lapse video someone and basically just watch Absolutely. them grow. You're going to watch them put on like a pound an hour. Yeah, and that's uh, no IV, right? No, yeah, IVs are banned now. So uh, that that is without any IV uh, whatsoever. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was astonishing that, uh, that, he was able to, uh, that he was able to do that. Uh, the Ultimate Fighter, he wanted at middleweight, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He would be, if he wins... His fight uh, tonight against Ricardo Lamas, he will be, I believe this is correct, he will be the first UFC fighter to win fights in four weight categories. Wow. Middleweight, welterweight, lightweight, and then down to featherweight. And also keep in mind doing it in descending order, which is pretty impressive too. Yeah. I mean, usually right, as man. guys get older, you know, you could see it, maybe they're working their way up. But uh, no, no, not uh, not not at all with uh, with Diego the Nightmare Sanchez. Although I believe he is uh, he's Diego the Dream Sanchez now. He did change that, didn't he? I had one of the strangest interviews with him ever. Like, have you ever spent much time talking yeah, to that's Diego? Why, that's not surprising me at all to sit there. And yeah, if someone's gonna sit there and go, "Hey, I had a strange interview <laughs> with," I'd be yeah. like, "Ah, yeah, yeah." Actually. If it wasn't Diego, it would have been Jeff. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, right. Two yeah. guys we've been talking about here yeah. the last few minutes. But he, he, um, I asked him one time why, but and he's, I, I always find him to be very nice. It, it's not that you know he, he's off putting or anything. In fact, he's usually very, very talkative. It's just he is, he's eccentric. I mean, he's marching to the beat of his own drum for sure. And uh, I asked him one time. I was doing a phoner interview with him. This is not that long ago. It was maybe like. I think it was like three years ago, maybe. And I asked him why 
I noticed he didn't have a Twitter account. And I said, because usually I would, as I would have fighters on the show, I would plug their social media. And uh, I noticed he didn't have one or I couldn't find one. And I said, uh, hey, Diego, um, I noticed, the, am I right? Do you not have a, a Twitter account or should we, should we mention it or plug it? And just like very soft spoken, just very, you know, matter of fact, no animation or inflection on in his voice. He goes, he says something to the effect of, uh, no. I had uh, a Facebook page, and I uh, lady contacted me and told me that I was the um, father of her baby, and I was trying to support the baby for quite a long time, and I was trying to take responsibility in the raising of the baby, and then there was some DNA testing, and I realized that I was not the father of the baby and that I had been, uh, you know, I had been Oops. deceived. And so then I, anyway, and it, the story went on. Like, I mean, it's, I have to find the audio. So if I can find the audio, we'll play yes, it on the show sometime. Do. It went on for a while, like much longer than what I just did. And he just wrapped it up by going, so that's why I don't have a Twitter page. Like, <laughs> like I got, here's, I got how burned. Was here's how I got afterwards. burned. It was, uh, I tell you what, being the radio professional that I am, Frank, uh, dead air is a big no-no. So somehow I gathered myself, and I think I just plugged a sponsor or something out of instinct. You know, well, <laughs> all right, real water. Yeah. Uh, get real at, you know, drinkrealwater.com or whatever I did. But, uh, yeah, it was it, it, it definitely threw me for a loop. It's not often that I'm, I'm speechless or I, I don't have a follow-up question or something like that, but it was... Uh, it was a, it was he was, was a tad awkward, but I felt for him. I mean, like I said, it wasn't like, you know, he's a likable guy. I yeah. think it's it's not that. It's just uh, he is really unusual. And then um, more recently, just I think it was it was a year ago last March because we were in. It was in Dallas. It was for the. Uh, I was in Dallas for the first Hend uh, Johnny Hendricks Robbie Lawler fight, uh, and he was on the undercard of that and they did open workouts. So you've done open workouts a bunch, yep. right? How long do open work? How long does your open workout last? Uh, it's about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're going to hit the mitts. Maybe you're going to, you might do a little pummeling or something, but it's yeah. really just kind of a, a symbolic show for the fans. It's right. not really something that you factor into your training camp as far as peaking, uh, no, <laughs> during the open real, workouts or something. Not a real workout. Right. Well, I watched uh, all the fighters do basically what you just laid out, that version of open workouts, uh, you know, 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, until Diego Sanchez got on the mat. And he uh, stretched. He did, uh, did a lot of yoga. Then he put on a training mask. And he proceeded to work out for about an hour. About an hour. Might have gone... Might have gone 75 minutes. I mean, it was it was a workout. And then here was the bonus. Then, and I think it was John Morgan from from MMA Junkie. He could if I if he was here, I he could say for sure because he remembers this. We've talked about this since. He asked him a question about the yoga. If we'd already watched him work out for like 75 minutes, and and John, we're in the scrum there. And John asked him about the yoga and how much of a, of a factor that was in his conditioning or whatever. He proceeded, Diego Sanchez proceeded to tell us, because, you know, he's a, a very religious fellow, Diego right. Sanchez, these days. 
he proceeded to go on this this tangent about how uh, I am doing a lot of yoga. Um, you know, I was doing yoga, and then somebody told me, no, yoga is of the devil, and I stopped yoga. But then I thought to myself, why would God invent something that is of the devil but helps heal the body? So I was conflicted, but then I prayed about it, and I realized that it must be a good thing. I mean, again, like five minutes and <laughs> of a whole thing, and it was you know, and then and then tags it with like, so that's why I do yoga. Wow. It was it was kind of awesome. I mean, it was he he make a great podcast guest. I think maybe uh, a future uh, phone booth fighter contributor. That's what we need is uh, somebody who's who's not at a loss for words and can. Uh, can entertain us. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Diego Sanchez can do tonight at uh, at the featherweight level. What's the people were uh, were asking again? What uh, uh, they were asking at uh, Real MMA the other night? Uh, what the status is? We don't have a fight to announce for you yet, right? No, nothing. You know, just different things. You know, being talked about in the yep. rumor mill. But nothing solid enough for me to even uh, lend credence as far as seeing right. names. But you're ready. You're 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 ready. No injuries. No nothing yeah, like no. that. Just training for fun right now. You know, yep. doing things, learning stuff, and uh, yep. you know, relearning the same things, and uh, really enjoying the, the weight training now with the guy uh, Sean Manuel out of Gorman. Oh yeah, uh, I got to bring my kids there and enjoy time. No, what are you doing with that? You is that something you're incorporating more than you were before in terms of weight training? Or yeah, you know, um, it's so hard. You know, especially you have a long career such as mine. You sit there and, you know, in, in science, you have a control factor. You can change one aspect of, uh, of, of a test, testing area subjects, and you can sit there and see if that really is what the factor that's being altered. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can and, and go through there and start deducting that way through science. Uh, the, with the human body and martial arts and MMA the way it is, it's so hard because you sit there and go, well, you know, um, I, I got stiffer and wasn't as mobile here because I was lifting weights and, and it's just so not as simple as that it's almost like you have to be an economic an, 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 uh, excuse me economist and mm -hmm. uh, go backwards and look at things and it's easier to and that's why so many people on the internet are, are, are self uh, you know uh, <laughs> you know very uh, you know uh, knowledgeable uh, after the facts because you sit there and it's easy to deconstruct something and go okay well this led to that led to that led to that led to that but then when we try to go backwards and go, okay, well, let's, now let's, let's try to project things off an algorithm and look at things, and it just doesn't work that easily. It's very difficult to uh, figure out, you know. You sit there, and again, I go back to the weight training thing. You know, for a while there, you know, I didn't train weights because martial artists don't train weights. And then I got heavily into weights because after, you know, Brock and seeing the different size and strength of guys, I saw it as an advantage. But then I felt like my ground skills and, and overall fighting ability uh, kind of diminished a little bit. And I was like, oh, it's because mm -hmm. I'm stiffer, not as mobile. Mm -hmm. And then uh, now training, I'm like, no, that wasn't the case. Yes, did I get stiffer? But it's because I just wasn't stretching. And that was because I was tired because I'm here I'm doing all the weight training. And then, you know, you're spending more time in the gym. And it's like, okay, well, now you're spending energy over here. And maybe your timing goes over there. Mm -hmm. But that isn't necessarily cause and effect. You don't have to do that. You could have 
went in there and spent, you know, three days a week, 15 minutes reviewing different maneuvers to keep them fresh in your mind and still add on. So that's why sometimes with training, it's weird. You know, uh, my wife sometimes you know, she calls me the mad scientist because you know, I drive her nuts. I'm like, I'm going to do this. She goes, didn't we try that diet? Or didn't we do that? I'm like, yeah, but last time when I did it, I was doing this, this, and this. Yeah. You know, when I was training here and, you know, because, I mean, you change one factor and it's like you almost have a whole new science project all over again. Yeah, because we were talking a lot. Uh, actually, we were talking a lot Friday night when we went out to eat after uh, the, the real MMA fights about different diets because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm vegan and mentioned that before. But you were talking about we were talking about veganism, but also like different different uh uh you know, thoughts diets, on paleo diet you said you'd done things like that right yeah absolutely yeah i even was vegan for for for, for months there yeah. and um about the time i fought michael krokop yeah and uh and actually did it more for health reasons i was reading that you know for your heart and blood yeah. pressure that these are you know the best way to be you know the mayo clinic you know it stated that for you know for heart health mm -hmm. that a vegan diet is the number one and then uh but then I started having other problems, you know, and again, I was having issues in other areas. It's funny because I went to the doctor to get stitches after practice, you know, I had, had collided heads and, mm -hmm. and so I was there with the doctor and they're doing my, uh, my heart rate and blood pressure and everything was off. And I started doing some blood work, you know, because they're like, you know, you're a pretty healthy guy. These mm -hmm. readings shouldn't be this way. And then uh, one of the tests, they test my uh, uh, glucose, mm -hmm. and my uh, sugar levels were, like, off the chart. Hmm. And then I was like, well, how can that be? You know, uh, how can I be unhealthy? I work out more yeah. than just about anybody that, on average because I get paid to do so. And, and yeah. here I'm eating, you know, not like I told you, a fake vegan diet where it's like, well, yeah, you're not eating animal products, but the the colonization the, the of chemicals that you're putting in your body right there you're right that's not meat but i don't know what the heck that is right you know i was yeah you, know, you can you can eat nothing but french fries and be technically vegan right but that's and, I, and i wasn't even doing that i was point, following yeah. eating vegetables and you know uh, and, yeah uh, you know lots of beans and nuts and and, and whatnot you know uh, in our diet and uh and uh, when they, you know, they told me about my insulin levels being super high, you know, I explained how I was eating, and then the doctor was like, "Well, you have no fats and proteins, so you're 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 basically your your A1C score. I bet you if we did a test on that, and sure enough, I went and did work on that. Uh -huh. It was super high. They're like, basically, you have an all sugar diet. They're like, what do you think all carbohydrates break down to? I was like, what? You know, and, and so it was one more factor again of going back to the drawing board and trying to figure yeah. out what to do. Did you find that? Did it help you with weight at all? Because the thing that I find with it, and I realize some of the stuff is genetics, but the thing that it helped me with uh, was I, I've noticed that I've been doing it two years now that that my weight just I don't gain or lose a pound. Yeah, I was much lighter and more consistently light. Yeah, where sometimes consistency. Seen, I guess yeah, that's the word I'm it's looking weird for. Yeah, because with the diet I have now. And, and even when I when I'm not and trying to follow any kind of health plan, yeah, you know, in between fights sometimes you know just eat like everybody else. You know, if I want Taco Bell, we should stop at Taco Bell. Yeah, um, and so uh, you're right. There's such a fluctuation in weight. There's some days I'll, I'll wake up. And, uh, you know, and, and 20 pounds heavier. And then all of a sudden the next day I wake up and I'm only maybe 10 pounds heavier than I should be. Mm -hmm. You know, there'll be a 10 to 15 pound weight influx through. And I never experienced that so much as a vegan. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's just uh, being able to to uh, maintain weight consistently, and that's uh, that's definitely a benefit of it. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, Huron Gracie's going to call us in just a minute, Frank. Uh, Huron, of course, of course, is uh, uh, Huron and Henner uh, are the the guys who sort of currently run the the Gracie School in uh, Torrance, California, and they've done all the online stuff. Uh, I mean, they've really taken the uh, the Gracie brand into the the uh, the twenty first uh, century with all the online marketing and stuff like that that they've done. And uh, Huron is coming to Las Vegas for a seminar. December 1st at uh, one of the Gracie affiliates here. So he's going to uh, phone in. We're going to talk to him about that, see what's going on. And he also uh, had that grappling match in Metamoros with Josh Barnett, who he gave up about 100 pounds to. So he was a last-minute replacement for uh, whoever got – I'm trying to think who that was. It was supposed to take on Josh Barnett. Wasn't it Chell? No, no, it was another heavyweight. It was another legit heavyweight that fell out, that got injured. And I can't think of what he'll tell us. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get a word with him, see how uh, he and his brother uh, Henner are doing, and we'll do it uh, coming up next. In fact, uh, Henner was in um, Ronda Rousey's corner uh, at UFC 193 when she lost the uh, women's bantamweight title to Holly Holmes. So maybe we'll talk about that as well. We'll do it next, coming up on Phone Booth Fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly dose of mixed martial arts talk with myself, Richard Hunter. My co-host is here, two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. And uh, Frank joining us uh, via phone right now is uh, Huron Gracie, uh, my friend Huron, who's going to be in town. He's going to be here in Las Vegas doing a seminar at, uh, see, I get the details uh, right here. He's going to be doing it at uh, the Gracie Harmeda. Huron, how do we say that? The Harmeda? We say Kumata. Kumata. Is this some more yeah. of that confusing Brazilian alphabet where all the R's are H's? Is that what, is that what I'm messing up with my dumb no. American accent? <laughs> no, that's an actual H. Oh, it is an actual H. Okay, there we go. Yeah, okay. it's pronounced as a, uh, almost a U sound. Kumata. Oh. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I learned something else there. All right, Umaita. Hey, that's going to be your birthday, too, right? I saw you put that on your Instagram. You going to celebrate your birthday doing a some? Yeah? Yes, my wife couldn't say no to that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's your, you know, now that's a real Gracie. What do you want to do for your birthday? I want to do a jujitsu seminar. That seems like uh, that 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 would be a Gracie way to celebrate your birthday. You probably celebrate yeah. a, lot, a lot of your birthdays on a mat, right? It's only a few hours. Yeah. Exactly. Got to do it. It completes the day. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's going to be on December first here in Las Vegas. Uh, details at uh, the following phone number if you want to get in on this: seven zero two two one four. 6414. That's 702 214 6414. There's also an email address on uh, Micah B, B, uh, BJJ at yahoo.com. That's M I C A BJJ at yahoo.com for uh, details. And I'm sure Hiran will, as it gets a little closer, we'll have some more stuff up on his uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, at Hiran Gracie. So uh, cool. Well, first of all, let me ask you about that then. You know, when you do a seminar and uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, to do a seminar with you and your brother Henner a couple of years ago at uh, 
the uh, Fight Week Expo, which was really, really cool, and you guys are great at doing that. What do you, like, so coming up December 1st, you know, there's so many different things you can do at, at a seminar, but you've got to, for those two hours, you've got to appeal to all skill levels from white belt to black belt. So how much planning ahead do you do when you think about, you know, here's what I'm going to show, how, or do you kind of just let it come to you when, when you when you get to the, the venue? Well, you know, I have a, a couple of things that have really sparked my interest that, that I myself, you know, am just consumed with. Like before I fall asleep at night, um, whether it's like a certain a principle or a technique or an approach to training. So usually I just, you know, do one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I speak to the instructor also and I figure out is it more people who are new or is there a good amount of advanced people? Oh, that's and a good idea. He'll give me some feedback as to what he thinks the crowd will be like. Yeah. And then you can always say that, you know, you're going to teach mounts or we're going to teach a guard seminar. And depending on how advanced the crowd is, you kind of gauge that when you get there and you give a little more or a little less. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Now you guys, you know, when you and, and Henner do a seminar together, and I know I talked to you about this, it's you know there, there's there's a lot of great instructors but um you don't see a lot of instructor combos you know you guys have a really good way of communicating with each other kind of finishing each other's sentences you're actually very entertaining i mean it's it's kind of funny at times like uh my my girlfriend jennifer was along for the seminar uh she doesn't even uh train but she she was with me and she was telling me she just enjoyed watching the the banner and the chemistry between you guys and and found it very entertaining so, you know, is that something that you and Henner just kind of always connected on in terms of your ability to communicate like that? Yeah, I think it's the, the fact that both of us learn from the same people. Mm-hmm. Both had the exact same upbringing. Obviously, being brothers, we lived together since we were, we lived together all the way till about 25 years old, 27. Yeah. So things like that really help. And you know, a lot of times it's it's a family business and family businesses aren't the most common thing. And even in the martial arts world, the whole Gracie family does jujitsu, but not too many teach in the same building for so many years, you know, into the parts of their lives where they're growing families. It's common that everybody wants to have their own school and kind of be their own boss. But we realize that, you know, there's so many people to help and we need to, and that us being together, we can help more people. So we just make it work. Well, one of the things that you guys have really pioneered is, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu obviously uh, has, has been around for, uh, well, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has been, been around for the, the better part of a century now. And, uh, you know, it's Japanese roots going back even further than that. But but something that I think you and Henner are going to go down uh, in, in history for, just like, uh, you know, your grandfather Elio went down in history for, for, for uh, you know, modernizing his version of the, of, you know, or creating, I should say, rather, uh, uh, you know, his style of jiu-jitsu, you and your brother are going to be known for really, ex- you know, uh, exposing jiu-jitsu to the, the, the internet age and the digital age and, and, and basically being able to take this to place, you know, the internet's everywhere, obviously. So being able to take it literally to every part of the world, every little small town and, and, you know, where there, there would, there's no telling how far away a school, an actual school would be. 
And uh, yeah. so, so along those lines, you know, do you remember when you and Hinner kind of first started talking about doing that, the early formations of, of the idea? Was it something that you just did right away, or did it take a while to kind of figure out how you were going to get your, your business plan together? Well, I remember we, we created a program called Gracie Combatives, which is our white to blue belt curriculum. Right. And once we did that, People loved it, right? Whether it was people who were buying these DVDs around the world or the program at our school or at our certified training centers. So we saw how much people just jumped on board when it came to completing a course. And in the course, the, the, the course is very much about learning to defend yourself in a street fight. So giving you a blue belt in jiu-jitsu is an art of self-defense. Yes. Which these, these blue belts of ours might go to an academy and they might get caught in a in a footlock or in a, a gi choke, but that's okay. We're willing to allow them to get caught in a gi choke as long as they don't get beat up by someone caught in a headlock and just get punched in the face for no reason, bottom of the mount. And we trust that, you know, within six months after getting their blue belt, they will learn all the techniques that every other blue belt learns, such as defending other jiu-jitsu submissions and so on. So once we created the blue belt program, we, we realized that people want more. I mean, they want blue to purple but you can't do blue to purple that's such a large gap mm-hmm. so then we thought man we have to do you know blue belt stripe one program which that might be a little more equivalent to the amount of information that you learn from white to blue so we couldn't do dvds mm-hmm. so the only next option was to do the internet mm. to do a website yeah and, and yes and for every you know we're always getting heat from people in our family and, and other black belts and just how it's unacceptable that you're teaching people online and that it's not as good as you're saying it is. And the fact that they're actually doing their testing online and we're watching their tests online and they're getting, you know, they're getting, we call them technical blue belts. Where right. it isn't an official blue belt. Right. But it shows that they know the technique and they've, they've demonstrated the technique uh, correctly to our, you know, just from a, from a visual standpoint. Now, we, we ask that they do a in-person test with one of our instructors or with us before they get an official blue belt or an official any belt. And that's, and that's where we are now. So every you know, time one person complains, and it's usually somebody of good influence, you know, someone who's respectable in the world of jiu-jitsu or MMA or whatever it may be, or our family, uh-huh. we get 50 or 100 emails and messages and tweets thank you so much i've never been able to train jiu-jitsu but now i'm actually learning and i'm feeling good about it and i know it's effective and i'm i found some friends that also do jiu-jitsu and we're training together and so we only hear that story we've never heard anybody say that man great university has you know harmed me in any way or you know not made me a better fighter more aware of myself and more capable human being well you said you you got you know you get 50 uh testimonials let me make it 51 frank because i'll i'll, I'll tell you here on i got uh my my blue belt just since i've seen you uh, last and i got it from a charles gracie academy but the thing is i have your dvd set and i watch those 
And they were very helpful to me as a supplement to what I was doing because I found a lot of the information similar. So even though I I was able I was lucky enough to be in a school where I could actually you know get an official blue belt, that the DVDs were very helpful as a, a supplement to the information that I was learning. Like I can't really see how you know, the dissemination of good information could be bad under any circumstances. It seems like, uh, Hiran, that it might just be a matter of, you know, when you're when you're older and you, you, you kind of set in your ways and you learn things a certain way and then some new invention comes along, you know, like uh, like the Internet, uh, you know, or, or VCR or whatever was, was invented during your time, that maybe it's more just a product of that. Like it's kind of hard to adjust to the fact that there's a new platform for disseminating the same information that you've been disseminating, you know, all of your life as an older person. Yes, my father was somebody who grew up in that generation where there was no internet. And he was very difficult to convince him as to why Grace University is a good idea. And it took yeah. time and a lot of thinking. And naturally, with having two of his sons on at both of his ears, you know, not only telling him how amazing it is, but also showing him and giving him demos and letting him see testimonials of people who would come in and visit our school after training only online for a year with two buddies in their garage, and he could see how effective they were with the techniques. He, our father kind of opened his eyes and said, wow, I mean, I guess it is possible. And it's, there's proof, you know. Today, you can go online and learn how to, you know, be a surgeon, be a mechanic. There's so many things you can learn online, and, and obviously you would never want someone to operate on you do an operation just with online training, but they can learn the majority of what has to be learned online. Uh, all that's left is experience. And when it comes to experience, people who are training online, they are actually getting down, putting G's on, breaking the sweat, working with people. They're going over different drills that we lay out for them. They're doing what we tell them to do through we believe they have to do to get you know, the best reflexes and the best understanding of what it has to offer. Here on my uh, my co-host, uh, Frank Mir, is here, and uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to him because I think he's got some questions for you. Oh, no, actually, I was just reaffirming what you were saying, that I agree that what you were saying, uh, Richard, that, you know, no information is really bad information as long as it's taken in the context. If you sit there and you tell somebody, like, hey, buy this DVD, and with this amount of information, you'll not need to train. You're just going to jump in there and you're going to be the UFC champ. Well, then, you know, that's false advertisement. That's obviously not the case. But if you sit there and go, hey, these are the moves and the basics that all people base their style off of, you're giving out great information and you're being honest with what it is, that it's the basics of the foundation of, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu and, and, and people can use it to be very effective in a, in a street altercation. Or, But if they're obviously going to yeah. move on to a competitive nature where they're going to go into a gym with other people that are training, well, they already know those moves also. Yes, and and uh, yes, it's giving them, you know, getting them ready for the first day and, and there are all the people who can't ever even find a school a lot of jiu-jitsu teachers out there mm -hmm. are not qualified. Mm. So sometimes hands-on isn't the best. I, I, don't, I can't put a number on it, mm -hmm. but I would, if I had to bet, it would be safe to say that half of the jiu-jitsu schools out there probably shouldn't even be teaching. Mm. And, and because, you know, it's something that's so fun and everybody learns jiu-jitsu and people automatically feel effective. Then you have somebody who's kind of good at it and you might win a few tournaments. He says, you know what? I want to open a school and make a little money and just and scrapple all day every day. And now they're teaching. And, you know, are they teaching 
this art, obviously they might teach it in a way that's different and, you know, to each their own. But the bottom line is that our goal is to teach it as an art of self-defense, an art of patience, not about rules and time limits and points. And it's, you know, and really just give the principles and the philosophies that Carlos and Ed Gracie, you know, wanted the world to learn. So when I say not qualified, I mean not qualified to teach what they might be claiming to be teaching, such as great jiu-jitsu. And when people think about jiu-jitsu, most people say, you know what, hey, I watched Hoyce Gracie fight in UFC 1, or I watched the Gracie fight, or whatever Gracie it was Mm -hmm. in any event, or even a Gracie representative, and I want to learn that. Do you guys teach that here? Most, you know, men and women, they walk in because they want to learn this art that will give them this confidence that they can, you know, carry without carry with them throughout their everyday lives. And and the everyday instructor that just is teaching because he wants to make some money and just roll all day, because, yeah, we teach that. But really, they're not qualified. So, you know, and I don't know if we could one day create a... Um, a board that has many very qualified instructors from all around the world mm-hmm. that basically overlooks who should and shouldn't be teaching and, and literally puts every school out there on the map and says, yeah, I don't know why this school is teaching. We have no idea who gave them this black belt, who gave them their purple belt, who gave them their blue belt, who is overseeing this person's teaching. Because we have blue belts and purple belts and brown belts teaching classes, but they're teaching exactly what we tell them to teach. They're following our curriculum. We have students that are in their classes that are watching our online curriculum and is learning, and the student is learning the exact same thing in person with our instructor. So if anything is, you know, violated and not taught right, our students give us immediate feedback that your school in this and this city and state, they're not really following the program, and then what do we do? We make a phone call, we figure out what's happening, and we go from there. So we have a very tight, you know, um, control or a very close watch on all of our schools they're all offering the exact same thing and, and most people can't say that well here on i wish you would have told me all that before i signed the lease on the richard hunter school of jiu-jitsu now i don't know if i can get my deposit back <laughs> it sounds like a bad idea all right you're <laughs> on okay. you're yeah, on uh Ron Gracie has been our guest. Now, he's going to be doing a seminar once again um, here in Las Vegas on December 1st. It's going to be a two-hour seminar. You can go out and celebrate your birthday or his birthday, uh, Huron's birthday mm-hmm. with him. Uh, uh, and uh, he said, I've done a seminar uh, with him and his brother, Henry. It's very informative. No matter what your belt level is, I was a, a white belt when I did it, and uh, it was very informative, and I carried a lot of stuff with me uh, from there that, that I'm still using today. The phone number for it if you want to uh, sign up, is 702-214-6414. That's 702-214-6414. And the email address is uh, micabjj at yahoo.com. That's M-I-C-A-B-J-J at yahoo.com. And you can follow Heron uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at Heron Gracie, and he'll have all the details up. And then uh, gracieuniversity.com, of course, is the website, right, Heron, to get the all the, the online instruction that we've been talking about? Yes, that's the website, 100% correct. All right. Well, always good to talk to you again, man. And hey, didn't you have? I think since the last time we spoke, you have you not had another addition to your family? Didn't you have another baby? Yeah, I had a, I had another baby. She's six months now, so oh. I have two daughters. Congratulations Thank on that, you. man. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Congrats to you on your blue belt. It's cool that you did that. Thank you. That's Hopefully right. Now you can 
you can do it for the rest of your life. And if you're in Vegas when I'm going to be there, maybe you can come by and roll a little bit. Let me know if you want to do that. I'd love to be. Count me in, man. I will be there. I want to do that. So uh, absolutely. Great. Yeah, and I, Frank, too. I would love to learn from Frank a little bit. Okay. Let's. What do you think, Frank? We should all get together while uh, while he runs here. Absolutely. I'll be Every there time everybody jumps down uh, and shares information, it's always a, it's a blast. Okay, cool. Frank's down to do that. So uh, let's touch base when, when you're coming in, and we'll, we'll set up time to get together, okay? Thank you, guys. Thanks for talking to me. All right, buddy. Talk to you later here, Ron. Have a, have a great one, Pete. All right, you too. Bye. So what do you think? You know, I, I like both those guys. I, uh, to me, they're, they're very engaging. And you know what? I, I, I mentioned that about my, uh, m- about my girlfriend, Jennifer. You know, she actually what she ended up doing was I did the seminar with them, but I was, I was doing it for my radio show. And so uh, I had her kind of running a camera and videotaping and really just kind of helping me, you know, produce as we were going along. But she told me that afterwards. She goes, man, those guys are they're 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 entertaining they're funny but i also kind of learned some stuff you know and she doesn't train but you know she's obviously getting a lot of this from being around me and that kind of thing to me that's all positive because what that really is that's the kind of person who probably is introduced to the world of jiu-jitsu maybe starts training after something like that you know i'm just never a big believer on see you got to where you are i don't like the you know okay well you're training jiu-jitsu but i didn't sign up that way and i don't like the fact that you signed up that way i don't like the fact you know i walked by the window of the school i don't like the fact that you found a website and that's how you got into it i don't ever get that way of thinking you know if it's if it's basically getting us to a common place that's making us better people, and in in this case, both you know we're both learning about jujitsu. I mean, do you have a thought on that? Do you think it's Absolutely. bad that they do this stuff online? No, not at all. But I think you just have to break down where the mindset originates from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people turn to learning martial arts uh, not for positive reasons, but a lot of times that they can do it for negative reasons. And that's mm-hmm. not that I, I just take that back. Not that most people do. It's just that the people that you hear about typically are the negative ones. Mm-hmm. If I have a hundred people that step into a room and do something and 80 of them are there for good intentions and the 20 are just, you know, bastards that we don't like. Well, guess who the 20 are going to be on the internet screaming about how horrible the event was. Yeah. You know, you're like, wow, this was a really bad event. I'm like, no, actually 80% of the people enjoyed it, but where were they? They don't mm-hmm. talk about it. everybody's bad experiences. And it's, and martial arts kind of comes from that, um, background i mean if you think about it that's what the first ufc was all about was style versus style yeah right so everybody wants to sit there and and for some reason it's like martial arts and sometimes religion can you know what i'm doing is the best and what you're doing is a waste of time and garbage and you're a fool and it describes who you are as a person and that's why i'm better than you (laughs) and i've seen that so much in the world of martial arts where people sit there and they'll they'll look at a situation like the gracie's doing this online thing yeah they'll look at the negatives behind it go wow you know someone might i'm like Okay, what about the positives? You know, mm-hmm. are we really going to go ahead and throw the, uh, the, the what they say the baby out with the bathwater? Yeah. I mean, there are situ. You know, I see nothing. I, I see more positives in a situation like that than negatives. You know, it's like like you said, giving information to people that don't have access to gyms, they don't have the finances to train at a gym. A one-time buy of a DVD set is a lot cheaper than a monthly, yep. uh, you know, uh, membership at a, a local gym. Mm-hmm. And so. I, again, I've never been, you know, maybe that's why I'm a pretty laid back guy. I just don't walk around with that anger <laughs> that I, just so many people do. And then when you sit there, you're like, well, why do you care? And it's kind of hard because you put your own mindset and, and going, well, I don't really understand why you're upset about this. 
but they are. I mean, for whatever reason, people just, they have to, like, they, um, whatever they define themselves with, there's an identity there that they're, well, I go to the gym and I train this and, well, you know what I mean? And I, and I do eye gouging and pokes, so I, I do street fighting. It's not even MMA fighting. I would kill you in a fight. It's like, really? Is that what makes you get up in the morning? Is, is that really mm-hmm. the definition of manhood that, you know, are you not in debt? You know, are your kids happy? Are you a good husband? You're worried about whether or not, you know, certain things that people worry about. We're talking UFC with Jorge Masvidal, Gamebred, one of my favorite guys to always see come up on a fight card. This guy brings it every single time, and uh, this Saturday is going to be no exception. He'll be in Seoul, South Korea, headlining the UFC's Fight Pass card against Benson Henderson, uh, going down over there, and he joins me now. Jorge, how you doing, man? Good to talk to you. Oh, man, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm ready to go. I can't wait for, for the fight already. Always excited to see you come up on a fight card. Now, this one uh, was a bit of a, a, a product of last-minute shuffling because Tiago Alves was supposed to be in this fight against Benson Henderson. Now, Tiago Alves and you are both uh, American Top Team guys, right? So did you know, uh, was that kind of how you heard about the injury first? Was around ATT or was it management calling you or how did it happen? Well, uh, me and Tiago are managed uh, by the same people, and um, also uh, we're both American top teams, so Dan Lambert helps us both out tremendously. And I had just seen Tiago the day before kicking ass, like doing good, you know, and I, I left him in the sparring session, and uh, I heard his rib got, like, kind of messed up, and in the following days, like, when he hurt his rib, like, bad, bad, you know. And uh, and I got the call, and it was like, it, you know, it, it hurts to hear, like, a, a friend and teammate of mine to have to pull out, you know, especially, I know what this man from, I know how much he put into the camp, you know, he was in great shape, man, he was gonna, he was gonna put on a hell of a performance, you know. Yeah, now, uh, yeah, but I guess, you know, if, if it has to happen, it's pretty cool that a teammate can be the one to, to fill in, and also the fact that this was a fight that was supposed to happen for you a while back, right? Uh, Benson Henderson was your original opponent yeah. when you ended up facing Ally Aquinta, so, uh, back then, how much time did you have the game plan for, for Benson Henderson? Did you already kind of have a game plan together from back then? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had I had a game plan back in April when we were scheduled to fight, you know. And, um, I mean, I don't even watch, like, too much tape on my opponent, so I just get the fight and just go, you know. I'm, just, I'm ready to go, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it was probably nice that uh, you, you had already had him in mind from uh, – uh, back originally when you were supposed to fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, it was definitely just for him. And uh, we just came right back to the St. John board that, that we were working back then for him and uh, just followed up on him. Right. Now, now Benson Henderson is another guy like yourself who's moved up from, from 155-pound lightweight to, to 170 welterweight. Do you anticipate that, that you guys will be about equal in size uh, come come Saturday? Say it again, you were picking up the last part? Yeah, yeah. You know, both you guys, you and Benson Henderson, are former lightweights that have moved up to welterweight. Uh, do you expect come Saturday that you guys will be relatively the same size because of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll be the same uh, size. I think I might be a little bigger just because uh, I'm taller. I got a bigger frame, you know. Yeah. He's a little stocky, you know. But um, I think I'll be the bigger dude come uh, come. uh Saturday. I don't know if I weigh more on the scales, but I think I definitely I have the the reach advantage and, and a couple other advantages. I think I hold that one seventy. You know, man, I I mentioned that uh, that Ally Aquinta fight, and and looking at that on paper, had that not had it not been for that controversial loss, you'd be on a five fight win streak right now. I know I scored that fight for you, and I know a lot of other media members did. 
It, does the controversial nature of that loss still bother you? Oh, it bothers me like hell, man. I feel, <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. It's, uh, it hurts, you know, and, uh, I mean, in a way it was kind of good because I've been wanting to go to 170. So that was like my, my retirement from 155 pounds. I've been wanting to go to 70 for a couple of years now. Yeah. I just felt like it's, uh, it's been damaging my performance, getting down to 55, losing all that amount of water weight. Because at, at a certain point, I'm, I'm at 173, I'm 5% body fat. So how much more body fat can I lose, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before it becomes unhealthy already. So it's just water that we're losing out there. And uh, I just feel like it's been maybe hurting my performance, you know? Because uh, people remember me from my early days. I had a lot of stoppages. I was a little bit more explosive. So I just want to get back to that, just bring knockouts and, and be exciting every time I step out there. Well, especially now that the IVs are banned, I guess it would be a good time to uh, to go ahead and move up in weight because those weight cuts Oh, it's a great just... time. I couldn't go back to 55 without IVs, man. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you you, you sort of uh, take me to my next point because you, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, earlier in your career you were known for more stoppages and then uh, your UFC run, although it's been very successful, six of your eight UFC fights have gone to decision and then the, the four strike force uh, fights before that, those were all decisions as well so I mean you, you kind of touched on my next question but I'll let you expand on it do you feel like uh, maybe fighting down at that lower you know at 155 was was holding you back from getting uh, getting more finishes that you might see now at 170 definitely in in one thing I can see it in is uh, my speed I think I, I hold a big speed advantage it's just a god-given genetics you know I just got quick hands and um. I think at 55, I was kind of losing that speed, a little bit of my reflexes. I'm just excited to see what I can do at 70. You know? I just feel good. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm doing training. You know, mm-hmm. I was stepping out there in the mat and just not feeling like I'm doing training when I'm scoring guys, and I'm just taking it to somebody for five, six rounds straight, and I'm not getting tired. You know, uh, I wasn't feeling that at 55 when I was stepping in the cage. I was feeling a little sluggish. So right now, I just I feel great, man. You know. Now your original opponent. I'm ready for, to go. Your original opponent for Saturday was supposed to be Don Young Kim. He stays on the card, but of course you've been moved up to the main event slot. Uh, that was your original opponent to game plan for. Uh, he and Benson Henderson, not exactly the, the the same type of fighter. But is there anything you were able to take from your preparations uh, for for the stun gun that you're going to take in Saturday night against uh, Henderson? Oh, definitely. They're both southpaws, you know, so that's one thing that was super favorable for me. They both mm. lean towards the grappling big time. You know, I would say Ben's more of a grappler than a striker. Yeah. And Dumyum Kim is is a grappler that occasionally throws strikes, you know. So uh, it, it 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 wasn't that, that much of a thing. It's not like I'm fighting some crazy stand-up dude that's wild, you know. It's uh, it's, a, it's uh, The transition's not that bad to me, for me, you know. Yeah. Now, uh... Will Mike Brown be cornering you? You know, I want to ask you about him because, uh, of course, former WEC champ turned uh, uh, American top team coach. But, man, I see him in in so many ATT fighters' corners. Obviously, there's a lot of fighters that really lean on him, and and something has really made him, obviously, a a great coach, uh, you know, post-fight career. So will he be cornering you on Saturday? Yeah, he'll be fun. He he's actually right here next to me. He's uh he's uh he's trained alongside me most of my career and stuff and then uh when he retired and he said he was gonna coach, a lot of us were excited, you know, because uh he's just like a smart dude. He wasn't the best athlete but he was the the dude that could break things down, you know. He he could he when he shows you something, he shows you something, you know, he tells you like, Look, this is how I did it and this is how I worked for me and uh he's he's the future American top team, you know. The the torch is getting passed, um, from from the other coaches that we had. 
and we're pulling strong for Mike Brown to, to carry the team into the next phase, you know. The the up-and-coming generations, the guys that Mike is coaching now, a lot of me, a lot of guys that are still on them, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how it unfolds. I know you just had a birthday about uh, 10 days ago or so. Are you, you holding off on the celebration until after Saturday night? You're going to celebrate that in South Korea Saturday night? Well, yeah, I held off. I mean, uh, I still had a shot of whiskey with my dad, you know, because uh, – I had bought some good whiskey for him. He said he didn't want to open it until my birthday. And then he was like, oh, come on, take a shot with me. So I had like half a shot with him, a little bit of slices of cake and that shit. You know, I kept it moving. I trained all that day. I trained like three times that day to, for, for that half a shot that I had to celebrate with my dad. But uh, the celebration will come back when I go to Miami, you know. In Korea, I'll give me some Korean barbecue over here. Uh-huh. I'll get into some craziness. But uh, the, the real celebration will be when I get back home to Miami. Sounds great, man. You know, uh, last thing, you, you gave me one of my favorite answers I've ever had in an interview, where I asked you what was something uh, that no one knew about you, and you told me you like to bake cupcakes when it rains. When's the last time you baked some cupcakes? <laughs> yeah, I remember, man. <laughs> when's the last time you baked? That's ba- an easy oven. That's right. When's the last time you did it? You said you like to do it with Actually, your daughter, right? Yeah, yeah, I got uh, I got two girls. I got a 13-year-old, I got a 7-year-old, and I got a newborn baby boy. He's 10 months. So, uh, man, I haven't baked in a minute, actually. Uh, with, with training and the kids, I haven't baked, and they don't really care about that no more, you know? They've been, uh, they they still bake in there because they love cookies. And yeah. They love making them from scratch, you know? They don't like all that synthetic sugar. Yeah. So, uh, they, like, they love to still bake, but I haven't baked with them in a minute. Well, it might be time for a cupcake party when you get back home, man. Celebrate that victory. Hey, uh, or Oh, you know it, man. No, they already have all my pastries set up. By the time I get off the airplane, it looks like a deli in my house, you know, because they know all I want to do is eat. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Jorge Masvidal has been my guest. Hey, best of luck in there Saturday night. As I said at the top of the interview, but anytime you come up on paper, man, that you're going to be a part of a fight card, whether it be a main event or co-main or whatever, always exciting to see you on it because I know you always bring it, and uh, Saturday night will be no exception. Headlining UFC's Fight Pass card from Seoul, South Korea, against Benson Henderson. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for the time, as always. Good luck in there, and I look forward to the next time we speak. All right? Thank you, man. Love being on your show, man. Appreciate it, man. God bless, man. That was Jorge Masvidal. He's going to be in action coming up this weekend, Saturday, live from uh, Seoul, South Korea, taking on Benson Henderson exclusively on UFC's Fight Pass, their digital platform, as a uh, last-minute replacement uh, stepping into that main event. But always excited to see Jorge Masvidal fighting and always a uh, fun visit with him. Always enjoy having him on the show. We hope you enjoy hearing him on the show and all of our other guests that we bring each and every week on Phone Booth Fighting with myself, Richard Hunter, Ricky Lundell, coach to the UFC stars and two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. If you're not already subscribing to the podcast, please do so. You can get it at phoneboothfighting.com or in iTunes. Just search Phone Booth Fighting. Tell a friend. If you will, that is the most important and valuable thing you can do for us is to tell a friend so we can keep this thing growing. Give it a five-star rating while you're there in the iTunes store. And um, if you feel so inclined, write us a favorable review. That would be much appreciated as well. All of those things help to grow the show and turn more mixed martial arts fans on to it. And uh, we will be right back here with you next week as a trio, Ricky and Frank and myself. Follow us on social media in the meantime at Richard Hunter, at Ricky Lundell, and at the Frank Mir. Thanks to our sponsors once again. Real Water, get real at drinkrealwater.com and the great Trent Cotney at trentcotney.com. For Frank and Ricky, I'm Richard Hunter, and we will see you 
right back here next week for another edition of Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with